millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Early Work, Series 2, Episode 2. This week's guest is O.T. Fagbenle. If you're unfamiliar with that name, you won't be for long. He's in the upcoming Black Widow movie, which is now out in 2021. Um, He's also in The Handmaid's Tale, uh, and he's got his own Channel 4 sitcom called Max. He's also the first guest to Skype into this show from, frankly, Africa. Tanzania. To be more specific, he was in Tanzania. Uh, Crucially as well, you need to know this, we'd never met each other or had any kind of conversation before we had this one. Now that's quite a weird experience, okay? It's not often that your first conversation with a person is an hour long uh, about their childhood and then at the end of it you both share each other a poem you wrote as a child. But then again, it's not often that you're hosting early work unless you are me and I am. Luckily, O.T. Fagbenle just happens to be one of the most charming, interesting people that I've ever spoken to, so the whole thing came extremely naturally. Um, I mean, I haven't spoken to him since, but he has a 100% hit rate with me, chat-wise. Excellent stuff. Incredible Skype company uh, who told me all about stumbling into RADA, which you probably know is one of the most famous drama schools in the world, which he proves, by the way, on this podcast with, without doubt, the best acting performance so far in the early work archives. Yeah, sorry, Joel Domit, if you're listening. Sorry to John Kearns, Dan Schreiber. This is how to do it, lads, okay? This is how you read a script on a podcast. Commit. Pop an accent on for once. Don't cower with the shame of a stand-up comedian or embarrassed about everything. Set yourself free like a RADA-trained movie star. I'm telling you, in the moment, he was reading this one-man play and then he put on this accent and it shocked me so much, it was genuinely electrifying. I hope that comes across. Um, and then after all that, after sharing all that stuff, despite announcing that he wouldn't share these, he decided to end the show spontaneously by reading us one of his teenage poems, which, by the way, is stunning. Stunning. I love this chat with Otifag Benley, uh, and I hope you do as well. So, here you go. Joining me this week on Early Work is Oti Fagbenle, who comes to me from Tanzania. Yep. I don't mean to ask this in an accusatory way. What the hell okay, are you doing in Tanzania? it's going to get racist fast, is it? No, I'm, I'm, joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, you've seen my work before, have you? <laughs> um, um, no, I'm so, yeah, no. So I'm in Tanzania because my mom, who's English, an Aryan, um, she, she, she moved out to Tanzania about seven years ago. And since the apocalypse was happening, she was like, you're not going to, you know what I mean, leave me in the lurch, are you? So I came to Tanzania. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I was a bit reluctant coming. I was like, is it the best idea? to leave, you know, a nation which has relatively good uh, infrastructure for one that has a lot less good. But so far, it's been the best decision of my year. It's, it's, it's been amazing. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's the lockdown situation in Tanzania at the moment? It's novel. I'll tell you that. They have a novel approach for a novel virus. Um, there is no lockdown. There is sans lockdown. Nothing, nothing. And there hasn't been at any point. No, there's not been at any point. I mean, there was a bit of like mask wearing for a bit, but that's pretty much been abandoned. Um, there was a quote which I heard, which I didn't hear directly, so I don't know if it's substantiated. But anyway, listen, let me not just slander people. The point is, is that there's no lockdown, and uh, and that's where <laughs> that's where we're living. <laughs> Um, now, if I had to guess what you were like at school, OT, and I do, because it's the first format point of the show, right. um, what I've written is this. Now, we don't really know each other. We've not worked together before. So oh, when you say not really, you mean e- not at all? Yeah, sorry. No, well, not at all. I mean, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, this is... I'm, I'm seeing you on Skype now for the first time in my life. You're a very I mean, handsome I've, man. I've seen your work. I wasn't, I wasn't oh, prepared don't tell for such me good that. looks. I'm about to... Um, Oh, mate. I mean, what I'm about to read you, my guess of what you're like at school, is by far the most complimentary one of these I've ever read. I like it. So, I'm here by, for it. F- by such a lot. So, I've put the epitome of an all rounder, 
academic, good at sport, crucially also a theatre kid who wanted and could act. Uh, which also leads to the most important aspect of being an all-rounder, both popular and clever, which means you've got student leadership written all over you. The diplomatic, electable air of a head boy with a prime ministerial vibe. People, I imagine, probably wanted to copy your backpack or the way that you wore your tie, um, but you wouldn't mind. Let, let him get on with it. Uh, you probably had a school jumper that was almost identical to uniform, but wasn't official uniform, by which I mean it was like, let's say you had to wear black jumpers with the school logo on it. Yours is just a black jumper but without the school logo as your weird way of like being different getting some sort of power and everyone thought it was great um but my wager is that your niceness led to occasional heartbreak as your classmates would experiment with moped riding bad boys which led you to writing sad things and eventually agreeing to appear on the early work podcast (laughs) as a result of those sad things (laughs) (laughs) is any of this accurate well i tell you what 50% 50% is on the money. I mean, like, I was like, wow, are you reading from my diary? 50% <laughs> not really. Would you hazard to guess which 50 was right? Okay, I'm going to guess the 50 that's right is that you are um, you were academic, you were good at sport, and obviously you you drama kid. Uh, yes, basically. I'm going to go for the student leadership was correct, but the, the, but the, but the uniform and the people copying you wasn't correct. correct. Even in what, your what, mistakes, how, how, how wise and intuitive you are. So, so yeah, so you're absolutely <laughs> right. I was like one of those all-rounder kids. I was head boy, head of my year, all that kind of stuff. Um, but oh, you I were head boy. Yeah, I knew it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, so, you're so presidential. Oh, wow. So, um... But I wasn't like, so I guess I was relatively popular, but I wasn't in with the cool kids, like, because I was a bit of a geek. So no one was copying my uniform. I didn't have a cool dress sense. I wasn't, people weren't copying the way I looked. I wasn't a cool guy. The only thing that gave me any credit score was I was good at basketball and basketball was like a bit of a cool sport. So like the fact that I could dominate in basketball gave me some cred, but I just, I wasn't invited to the cool parties. And then, you know, I didn't have bad luck with, you know, the, the opposite, the ladies, as it were, as a kid. That was, that was okay for me. But, but you know, I was, I, you know, I did, everyone gets heartbreak. So, of course, I had crushes and unrequited love and, you know, heartbreak and all that. Kind and of did stuff. that lead to you writing anything when you were younger? Were you writing any heart, did you write heartbreak stuff or were you more focused on uh, dominating on the court? Yeah, you, you know, I think my writer, because I used to write, of course, they used to write love, bad love poetry. But I think I, I think my earliest ones of those are even in my late teens in terms of like poetry, as, as far as I can remember. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, I used to write a fair amount of that stuff and, and, and songs. I was music, I was musical as well. So. Uh, again, in my early twenties, I started writing songs. You were what? What sort of music were you in bands? I was in bands, um, but that's not where I wrote my music. I was in funk bands. I played saxophone, and so I was in funk bands and jazz bands. I wasn't really good, and this isn't false modesty. Uh, I, I, I was. I, I'm good to an untrained ear. To anyone who's a professional saxophonist, they'd be like, "That guy is not professional. He's not, you know." So, but um, <laughs> but yeah, mostly it was. I think the first song that I really remember writing, or at least the one I first remember writing and liking, was. I was on tour on Romeo and Juliet playing the touring theatre and I bought a ukulele uh, which I'd never played before and started teaching myself and I was going out with this lovely, lovely lady uh, called Shuri and I wrote a song for her. Uh, Do you remember any details of the song? Was it called Um, Shuri? Yeah, there was the wonderful line uh, You're my marmite on toast. I remember that much. Um, I think I think uh, <laughs> what did you mean by that by that that she was uh, incredibly divisive but no actually her. I didn't mean it like that I love Marmite so she, she she's so my... just, you, just something you like yeah yeah <laughs> just essentially means I like you great um, I love it um, yeah, the, the... ukulele is such a classic uh it's such a classic phase, isn't it? The yeah. ukulele. You buy the ukulele, you go, you know what? I'm going to be really good <laughs> at music. And the way I'm going to start is with the smallest and easiest instrument to play. Yeah. And then you eventually maybe, you either get through it and graduate to a better and bigger instrument or uh, you go, what was I fucking thinking? Right, right. Yeah, it was pretty short-lived for me. Actually, I think I do remember it. I remember the beginning. I'm going to sing you the very beginning. It went like this. It went, and this is, uh, how's it going? I know a girl 
She walks on sunshine, talks with the moon, walks with the stars. She is my reason to sing, my bird and my wing, my wife and my fling. Da da da, she is the girl they call Cherie. <laughs> Wow. Wow. I mean, it's very Rat Pack. It sounds like a Sinatra. I was, I was, I was partial to a bit of Sinatra. How old were you when you wrote that? That, that must have been 22, 20, no, no, older than that. 24, 25. Yeah. Maybe, tw yeah, maybe 23. Let's, got, let's call it 23. Yeah. Around 23, I got big into Sinatra. I oh. was obsessed with Sinatra and the Rat Pack and just got, getting obsessed with like lyrics to Fly Me to the Moon. I love that I was just blown song. away. When you actually finally listen to those lyrics and hear what he's saying, it's it's so mind-blowing. And that really, genuinely, the, what you just sang about Cherie really reminds me of those, of that, the lyrics of that song. On here. Can you, can, let's go, let's hear, let's hear a little line from uh, Fly Me to the Moon then. Re, uh, starring Reese, go! I'm not going to sing it. Come on, I mean, come to, on. don't think you can peer pressure me from Tanzania, <laughs> mate. I mean, this is what your audience demand, young man. This is my show. I mean, you can't come on here and say, sing me some Sinatra. <laughs> but what I mean is, when it's fly me to the moon and let me walk among the stars, let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. Oh, in other it's words. It's just like, I mean, darling, kiss me. It's yeah. quite, it's sort of. It, it is spoon feeding the metaphor a bit, not like yours. Yours was just metaphors, which was great. I mean, we didn't even get to the Marmite on Toast bit. I'd love right. to hear Sinatra saying, you give me some Marmite on toast. toast. In other words, kiss me. <laughs> Fantastic. And what, was I correct about the fact that you were a theatre kid at school? I mean, you're an actor now. Is what, why I guess there's pretty open goal that, but yeah, did but that happen then what? or did it come a bit Funnily later? Funnily enough, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, kinda. But but to be honest, most of my theatre I did outside of school. I went to WAC, the Weekends Arts College, which was an amazing institute. You send your kids to and support financially. And I, I did African theatre with Ritual Theatre Arts with the late great Rufus Orishayomi. So at school, I did drama GCSE. I didn't do drama A level. I you know, so I wasn't. Yes, I was, but that wasn't. I was much more of a basketball player at school than I was an actor actually. But definitely, I was an actor. Yeah. So when it, so you're saying it was, it was kind of after, was it outside of school, but during school time, or was it after school that after you started school, Saturday, doing Saturdays, like Sundays, after, after school, summers, and all that stuff. Do you remember any of the plays and stuff that you did? I did. First play I ever did was the uh, Sound of Music. Played Friedrich, nailed it. And then, <laughs> but the thing that uh, I kind of I got the most that people talk to me about from school the most now is I played. Uh, in Orpheus in the Underworld, uh, I played the devil. What do you mean people, the thing people talk about the most now? But sometimes from school, people are like, oh, I remember you from Orpheus. And I'm like, why do you have that weird voice? And they're like, I don't know, I swear to God. <laughs> I I did what? But you didn't, right? So you didn't, you didn't do drama at A-level? No. So you didn't see it as a, is that because you didn't want it to sort of muddy it as a school thing? I never thought I'd go become an actor. You wanted to do it as a passion. I, 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 at, at 18, oh no, younger than that, I guess, I started at 16, 16, 17, 18, I, I didn't think I'd become an actor. I, th I really thought I'd go into politics or go into business or, I, you know, something like that. And so I'd applied to do economics and politics at university. I, I had no intention of becoming an actor. And then, and then I just had this weird, this kind of experience, this night where I suddenly thought, you know what, I'd like to study drama. And I, and I, and I went, let's see if I can get in. And basically back then, there was like, go and have a look at the pictures. If you go to RADA now, you can go have a look at the pictures of each year. Up until about 2003, one black person per year. Per year. I mean, there may be one aberration where there was two, but that was the sitch. And so from my year before that. And so 3,000 people apply for RADA and they take one black person, right? So... The, the, the odds were not in my favor, as it were. Um, and so I was kind of told, you, don't, you won't get in, you know. Uh, so, mm. so I went to all my auditions kind of like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go to do economics and politics, but I'll try. And what did you audition with? Um, I did Ro uh, Romeo, Othello, Iago, 
And my modern was this kind of like Af modern African theatre piece written by Rufus Oroshiomi. Are those insanely, I mean, you're the first, I'm pretty sure, I don't mean to do a disservice to our previous guests, but you're the first RADA alumni on this podcast. Oh, the, no, no, the, the, the stocks of the podcast are rising, for sure. Like it's getting better and better. Oh, of course. You know, and so here we are now. Series two, it's gone up a notch. Yeah, we, basically, series <laughs> one, I just exhausted my phone book of comedians, and now finally, some people are starting to come in. We got some subscribers now. We got yeah. some. We got some Rada <laughs> ex Rada students. Um, but so, is that a high pressure? Is that an insanely high pressure situation? But you, you, I guess you weren't nervous because you weren't expecting to get in anyway, and you yeah. were happy to go to economics. But is that not like? Ha, ha, I mean, what does it look like that audition? Because all I'm picturing mm. is pop stars. The rivals. I'm picturing you going in and it looking like Simon Cowell, right. Louis Walsh. Right. That's not pop stars, but like the judging panel yeah. are sat there. Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, although it's in like a little like rehearsal room kind of thing, and there's a student on book, just in case you forget your lines. And funnily enough, when you're in the second year, you sit in for other people's auditions, so you get to see other people audition, and it's. It's remarkable because you think there would be a lot of middle cases. They're not. Like when you watch the auditions, it's like, nope, 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 next person, nope, next person, nope, 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 yes. And then nope, 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 nope. It's like that. It's so clear. Ah, so it's obvious when someone's got it. Very rare that there's a mixed case. and But then you've got 100 yeses and you have to narrow that down to 34, so... That's why it becomes hard. Is that because acting is one of those things that uh, anyone who's never done it thinks looks so insanely easy. And yet anyone who tries it, it's one of the most embarrassing things that you can do if you do it badly. It's yes. so like a lot of people coming into RADA with the dream of like celebrity more right. than anything who then just cannot act and don't know anything about the art of acting. Or is it just that it's really hard and you know what? it's hard to be nuanced and subtle? My experience is that everything is hard. Like everything, like you look, oh, being a plumber, that would be pretty easy. And then go study being a plumber, go study it. And then you'll find out it's really hard. Like everything is really hard. And if you want to be good at something, it's even harder. And I think all of us, well, I'll speak for myself. I find, I fall into the trap all the time of underestimating actually how hard someone else's job, life, whatever experience is. And so I think a lot of kids don't have access to training and, and exactly what you think, exactly what you said, that it's, it's not like, I don't know, sword juggling or whatever, where you think, well, I better practice first. And some people just think, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just say it, right? I'll, I can act it. Yeah. Just say the words. Yeah. I am now picturing a sort of like a situation where a bunch of plumbers go into like a fake kitchen and there's like a judging <laughs> panel and then you they just try and fix a sink and it's just no 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 yes no. there's my plumber Next. there's the future of plumbing right there and there's a bunch of second year plumbing students in case it starts leaking who can right. go in and twist a u-bend and one plumber I mean, you wannabe is like you're head. gonna be so sorry i'm gonna be the best plumber in the world <laughs> you sons of bitches <laughs> I think we've just landed on something. I mean, right. it's look, we're in lockdown. It's all about coming up with a side hustle. Neither of us can do our jobs properly at the moment. I think right. we've landed on it. I'm going to pitch it. I'm in. So what did you bring today that you want to read? Well, want to is, is one way of putting it. Um, compelled to. <laughs> that you have to, you must now read because I've made you. Right, right. So, so there were a couple of options. I've got a couple of, of poems, um, which, but, which I don't think I'm going to read those. Yeah, but, but I do have a little bit. I've got two little bits of this one man show that I wrote. Uh, I didn't finish it. Uh, and I, it was, it's, it's actually the, one of the first things I really tried to right um and uh yeah i was thinking maybe so what's the what's the one man show about it's about this guy who is a musician and he's traveling around and he gets involved in all sorts of skullduggeries and meets all sorts of people there's there's, there's two bits i was thinking i could read to you the, the first bit came from i had this really weird night with a crackhead um, who I met on the street and who I was just, we started chatting and I became really curious and I was like, can I hang out with you for a night? And she was like, yeah, sure. She was like, the crackhead in her 40s. 
And so I, I, I went, I went around with her and just had, I just saw the weirdest, most crazy things. And so I, 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 you know, so I incorporated some of that, my experience with her into it and then, and then just some other writing. Yeah. And then there's the other part of it. So I, I, yeah. So what happened? What happened with the crackhead? So you, you saw a crackhead on the street. No, this is what happened. Immediately knew. I'm walking down the street. I'm in San Francisco. I needed a haircut. I saw this dude doing his hair in a shop window, you know, the reflection of it. I go up to him and I say, bro, do you know? And then he turns around and it's not a dude. It's a woman who looks a bit cracked out, but she's got great hair. And I was like, oh, sorry. Uh, I'm trying to find uh, a barbershop. And so she's like, sure, I'll take you to the barbershop. And I was like, fair enough. So we start walking and then she starts telling me about how she was in jail and, you know, how she was writing in jail and then asked me if she could perform some of her writing for me. And I was like, well, let me get this haircut first. So I went and got a haircut. She waited outside for me. I came out. She started spitting these lyrics to me that she wrote in jail. And I just became fascinated uh, and I, to be honest, actually, in San Francisco, I had a number of experiences with homeless people who I met through various ways. I, I bought one guy breakfast and we sat down and ate and he told me how the reason why he's in a wheelchair is because he threw himself out the window to escape the aliens. And then uh, another time I was in a supermarket and I'm, there was this woman who's the frailest person I've ever seen in my entire life trying to put food in a shopping cart. So eventually I couldn't take it. I was just like, look. Come, I'm going to help you shop and then I'm going to drive you home. And so we, I drove her home and then she couldn't go up the stairs. So I took her into her this terrible, terrible bed set. I mean, I guess not homeless, but like she lived in this room, which was just smelly and stacked full of papers. She was a Vietnam vet. Anyway, I had all these weird experiences with the people on the streets in San Francisco. And so this is from one of those. All of that is amazing. What's amazing is this, first of all, I mean, often when people, you love this woman's hair, often when people go to the barbershop with a photo, it's a photo of like David Beckham. <laughs> but you're going in <laughs> with this woman you just found at the middle of the road looking in a window and going, give me that. That I want, crackhead. I want that look. That crackhead out there. That's, no, no, that, I, I wasn't pointing at her. She you just, go back the next time they've got a photo of her in the window. Right. I mean, <laughs> also, the other thing is she's played a blinder in waiting till you're sat down in a barber's chair to ask if she can perform for you because that is the epitome of a captive audience right, exactly I mean, you, there's no way out you you're not you cannot there's no walkouts when you're in a barber's chair <laughs> or well, if there they is there's a high price to the pay fringe. If like, half haircut <laughs> yeah mid haircut they should do that that's what the fringe should be from now on it would completely avoid the right. tragedy of getting walkouts during your Edinburgh show would be well, you have to get a haircut in my show. Or bring the barbers into the theatre. Look, we're we're coming. We're exactly yeah. The best of British innovation here on the Reese podcast. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've invented um, pop stars, the rivals with plumbing, and new um, barbershop Edinburgh fringe one man shows. Maybe. It's perfect, and it's all thanks to a crackhead that you met in San Francisco. Yeah, <laughs> the mother of all invention. So, what's this this one man show? How old were you when you wrote this then? So it's inspired by those events. Yeah, I was, this is, I'm pretty sure this is my 20s. You know, this is, this is, well, actually, to be honest, so I've been, I I started, I can't remember, basically the first part of it about about the musician was mid-20s. And I had my experience with the crackhead, like 27 or something like that. And so then I started incorporating the two stories then. And did you have any, intention to perform this yeah, when you were I mean, writing it originally? Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah, I guess I did. I mean, it, it was a decade before anyone, more than a decade, or before anyone ever paid me to write um, and before I performed anything I'd written publicly. So it was still, that was still part of a bunch of things in my head. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll make this one day kind of thing. And what's it called? <laughs> one man show. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I really have a... Oh, no, Synthesis. I had... For a while, it was called Synthesis, which... I, but I don't... I don't want to call it that. Let's call it Untitled. Synthesis working title. That works for me. Um, okay, can we... Can we hear a bit? Okay. Uh, let me just see. You have to excuse my bad African-American accent. I haven't been practicing, but here is where we are. Just give me a second. I got to look good first. You know what I'm saying? Hair and threads. It ain't easy. Living on the streets, you ain't trying to carry too much shit. It's all about how you put it together. You know what I'm saying? I keep my own hair up. 
My hair will attract people all along because it's natural. When I was in the women's penitentiary, I had waves. People from Bakersfield, they can fuck with these. That's just the beginning, the beginning of the process. I got my own brush rag. I do it at least three times a day, and it look nice. You know what I'm saying? I call it tsunamis. Tsunamis! Tsunamis in the dictionary is a seismic wave which wrecked continents. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'll take you down to the... Um, to the box streets, you know what I'm saying? You know, the paint up there is crazy. Motherfuckers ain't got no shoes on. They got heavy ass dress. Over there, all of a sudden, people, motherfuckers surround you. Thousand conversations going on at one time. Crazy people. Crazy. Walking. <laughs> screaming. They screaming. Fire department, ambulance, police. Action packed. It's action. You got a cigarette lighter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just doing things that get your fucking ass killed. And baby, I I don't do no fighting. I'm 42. I ain't getting in no fights. Somebody pulling my shirt off, had my long ass titties on YouTube. <laughs> no. <laughs> but oh yeah, I've been prison mm -hmm. 10 times, 10 times. I'm on parole, on probation. I'm getting ready to get off of that. I've been locked up for the majority of my life. But you know, it preserved me because I don't look like I'm 43. You know, I don't look like a drug addict. You know, I don't think like one. You know what I'm saying? I so here it is, crack paradise, and we turn the corner, and the street lights spill like syrup on black. Wow, oh, what a beautiful bit of stage direction that is there. <laughs> syrup, the street lights spill like syrup on black. Wow, Sinatra, Sinatra's back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. I love how you told me that story that inspired it, and then it immediately starts with. Hair chat, right? It right. just like the, the the connection was there instantly. Um, also, may I just say, even if one of my previous guests, as mentioned before, did go to Rada, not a single one of them has brought the level of performance <laughs> that you just brought to that. <laughs> so far, we've had people read scripts out, and it was frankly embarrassing. <laughs> now that I've heard that. You immediately just switched. You became a, you were just, I mean, I was like, yeah, this is an actor. This is an actor. This is a very uh, successful actor who suddenly just gone, look, I know I'm on a podcast and we're, we're on other sides of the world, but I'm fucking switching it on right now. <laughs> and oh my God, performance of the podcast. Sensational. Oh, thanks. Well, and uh, by the way, the accent was, the accent was excellent. Oh, thank you. I don't thank know what you were worried about. <laughs> Um, that was a fascinating, it's a fascinating piece. So it's all about the hair. So it's a sort of, so it's a monologue. Yeah. Um, from this lady talking about her long ass titties. Right. Uh, as you put it. Yeah. That's a direct quote. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all over the internet. That, yeah. And she's sort of monologuing. And is this how, is this how the woman, this woman spoke to you? Yeah. This, to be honest, it's pretty much verbatim. I, uh. Yeah, this is this is this is pretty much what she said to me. You know, the the way I worked with that stuff was I kind of like I took what she said and then I edited it round and changed bits and bobs. But you know, it's it, this is so much from you know her her vibe. And what was the plan? What's the plan with the story at this stage? So this is how it opens, right? No, it's not actually how it opens. So what, how it opens is um, the character comes in and he's like, hello. Uh, and then he's like, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through little postcards of my life. And, and you know, we'll start at the, near the end. And so he says, well, first of all, I met this lady. And, and then he starts performing her. And then he goes, right, but we'll come back to her. Um, and then the next bit I'm going to read to you is, is, is from when he goes, okay, well, let me just set it up a little bit, who I am and where I came from. And it's a very different style of writing and, and speech. Oh, so the idea was, I mean, was, is this a actor's idea of showing the range that you have by going, here's some postcards of my life. I've met all these people and they all happen to have different accents that I'm very good at. And some, some with a limp. <laughs> Some uh, one plays the ukulele. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a saxophonist in this. Weirdly, yeah. I met a saxophonist in the street. Right. Well, he is a saxophonist. Uh, not, not necessarily a professional standard. There's right. a basketball player. <laughs> All of my skills. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, may, maybe to some extent, but but also, you know, I didn't know I'd meet this woman. You know, and that, and that I was stuck with this piece for years, literally, and didn't know what to do with it. And then I met her and went. Oh, maybe that's what happens in the story. Maybe he meets her. 
Well, I, so far, we've not heard the rest yet, but so far, um, I know you wanted to call it synthesis, but you then bailed out on that. Um, I think Crack Paradise is quite a good title. That's pretty you, you, good. I don't know what you you're feeling. I don't know if you're feeling what I'm script. feeling, but we've got, a, we've got a creative chemistry. Oh, big time. I mean, yeah. this look, this is the start of something pretty <laughs> special, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, which it might be a Sinatra line. Can I float a phrase your way? Go. Two-man show. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, you know what? It just makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'll play all the crackheads, and you just you just do you. I'm probably more qualified. Right, yeah. No, I'll step look, I don't know that. if you know. My acting background, I played Oliver Twist when I was about 10, and I've sort of done nothing since. So, you know, I am qualified so you know, to do... Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to get out there. Unleash me. Yeah. I want to do it. Um, so what's the next? The next bit is a different scene, you said, where it's more you or whatever the central character is sort of setting it up. Yeah, Salvatore, yeah. And so prepare yourself for some unnecessary verboseness. Verbosity? What's the word? Um, it's an ironic word not to know that. Yeah, I know, I know right? Um, <laughs> all right. 1976 Florence, before people owned maps that spoke and books which held 10,000 volumes, one sweaty night an ivory moon sank low enough to bow the trees, and under that I was born. The bad news hit my mother hard when it became increasingly clear that I, this frail child, had been cursed with the gift of music over language. By seven I was fluent on three instruments, but still unable to pronounce my name. I found the decisions of adults like most children do at best to be haphazard and callous, at worst willingly reckless, and still do. My father, seemingly a stout man from birth, had 14 children. He did this with the help of seven mothers. He wasn't the type of man to lay that kind of burden on one woman. The legend goes that he met my mother while studying in Florence, and after falling instantly in love with my analytical, unamused, sharp-faced mama, he promptly fell out of love and into desertion with equal expedience. Jesus had two fathers, but I was left with none. What chance did I have? My father's absence improved our loneliness, and although they say that money cannot buy you happiness, the lack of it can certainly disrepair the mind. For my mother, Jesus was her sealant, the hold that kept the anxiety from spilling out. But under the weight of her abandonment, even that cross-shaped plaster would bend and leak. Fail to prepare and prepare to fail, my mother would say. The police arrived soon after my mother jumped, but before she died, and when she was asked who she was, she lied about her name because she found the whole affair terribly embarrassing. She hadn't prepared for a post-jump interview. So with broken knees, ankles, heels, 14 vertebrae, she lay in the street and lied with her last words. An orphan to the state, I was shuttled to Surrey to live with a distant aunt, a suitcase and an old beaten saxophone, my sole possessions. Four winters later, I escaped boredom school and made my circuitous way to the city and never stopped. Busking became bar bands, became session work, became support acts, became headliners. Breast milk became whiskey. At 17, while on tour in Thailand, a tuk-tuk driver introduced me to a pill burnt on chewing gum foil that the Chinese call ye Wei and people from Ohio call crystal meth. My music, the river, my horn, the canoe that carried me across the cities. Samuel Beckett says there are two types of fools. The, fools that, the fool that keeps moving and the fool who stays where he is. There's no question for me. I'm the fool who keeps moving. Wow. Wow. I mean, genuinely, if you were doing it as a one-man show, I wouldn't need to be getting a haircut at the time. <laughs> I would happily... I could happily listen to that all day. It's amazing. I mean, it's it's verbose, but not it, but in a very positive way. Thanks, the, 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 generally, the writing is fucking amazing. There's so many... Cursed with the gift of uh, music over language, fluent in several instruments but can't pronounce your own name it's fucking amazing um the willingly reckless behavior of adults 14 children seven mothers doesn't wouldn't put that kind of burden on one woman um <laughs> you do have you, you're in a big family right you got loads yeah. of siblings yeah 12 wow um oh another one equal expedience is another good title for this <laughs> that was in there equal expedience like and another great title that came out of that Boredom school. Boredom what school. What a great title for this. Boredom school. Um, lovely little reference to Jesus having two dads, but you not having any in that, or Salvatore not having any. Um, and just the whole like, oh man, it gets the twist. There's a, they just suddenly, the whole, your mum jumped, like it's revealed out of nowhere, a post-jump interview. 
Christ. I mean, it's, yeah, it's... I mean, this is great. I'm disappointed that you never performed it. I never figured out how to tell tell the story of it. You know, I never yeah, figured the out where beaten, the story was Arriving going. with a beaten suitcase with a saxophone in it uh, rings true. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, very good stuff. I mean, did has anyone ever, has anyone ever seen this? Anyone else? No, other than no, me and you? not really. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I... I mean, the, my writing process was I, I got a friend of mine that I could just because I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've explored a lot. Like I, I've kind of like I've, I've traveled to a lot of countries, like not just like on work, but just like I'm a traveler type guy kind of thing. And I've I've seen a lot of weird shit in my life. And so I just got a friend of mine. I asked if I could just tell her stories. And so she sat and I recorded and I just told her a bunch of stories of things that I'd experienced, things I'd seen. Uh, and then I took those stories away and then I started editing them and then I came up with, I came up with uh, lots of this. Yeah. So she's, she's seen stroke, heard lots of stuff, but, but no, not really anyone else. What do you, what do you think of that now years later reading it back? Do you rate it? I don't know. I, I find it hard to be objective about it because I, I know what all of it means personally to me. Um, and and I know what kind of style I was kind of, you know, I was inspired by. So I know I was trying to do. Who was Nabokov? Who was influencing you at the time? I was a big fan of Nabokov, and uh, and so Vladimir, and um, that was that. That was I was just in. Yeah, I just was trying to write like him a lot. Uh, just uh, just nodding currently on the on the Skype for the benefit of the listener, pretending to know who that is. <laughs> um, so don't don't feel don't feel alienated if you're listening to this. Uh, what going? Fucking hell, Reese has gone silent. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just nodding, going, yep, yeah, Nabokov, yep, yeah, yeah. same. What poster of him behind me? Love, <laughs> love a bit of Nabba. Uh, he's got some. Oh, Nabby, yeah, he's yeah, got good some lad. fucking lines. Oh my god, what a genius! And English wasn't even his first language. He's Russian. For the benefit of someone who doesn't know Nabokov, is this like? It, would you consider this to be massively biting off? what he's doing or is it just a bit inspired uh god hey, listen i would say that if i was ma- if one could would be able to identify it'd be like oh you're massively biting off Nabokov, that would be a huge compliment to me i would be like oh my god my right. writing is of such a le- it's like saying oh yeah of course she's just fucking stealing all of miles davis's shit i'd be like I'm as good, you know, like that means you're somewhere <laughs> in the vicinity you know so, so. <laughs> Yeah. yeah sure okay okay cool well then that's what i'll write i'm gonna uh, if i've ever become a reviewer or a critic right. i'm just gonna go to like... all your stuff and say oh fucking hell he's trying to be a bit nabby isn't he? That's, <laughs> that's a disgrace <laughs> so it now comes to the time where i must score your work on three categories um the first category is originality now interesting that we were just talking about what we were talking about because never would i have been able to go you know who that sounds like <laughs> But until you've listed read from Nabokov, you can't really. It has to be originality to look at me pleading with the judges already. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've, I don't see how. I'm going to go four out of five purely because you've told me who you were influenced by. So, I, I, and and because it's almost exactly what this woman said to you. So four out of five. But it sounds very original to me. I mean, there's I, again. I think there's Sinatra stuff in there. The stuff about. The way you describe the light, like syrup on the... Oh, God. It's beautiful. It's great. Um, the next one, the next category is pure teen horniness. Now, mm. it's not... You weren't a teenager, and it's not a particularly... It's not particularly horny, this. Mm, I mean, no. I've got, it's got to be a pretty, pretty low score on the pure teen horniness scale. Yep. Um, I don't even really see where it's possible. I mean, uh, there's I literally wish- one moment where you say the word titties... Yeah. And that's pretty much the only, but it said yeah. from the I owner. I wish I'd known this was the scoring. Those. I've got so much teen horniness, but go on. So I'm going to have to go for a one out of five for pure teen horniness. Right, um, and the next category is the Mickey Mouse Club slash Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose score, which is how close is it to your work now? Does it show the potential of a future star? Uh, the future star sat before me in Tanzania on Skype. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen you do anything quite like this. So, I mean, <laughs> I've seen Max, your show, and it's not like this. <laughs> All right, no, not quite. 
Your show Max is fan- is great. It's really good and funny, but I mean, it doesn't have. It's not got the verbosity of this. No, writing. no, so much you, potential the, yet to come. The characters aren't similar. I mean, I don't really see how I can give it a high score. Would you? Would you say this has to be a low score? Yeah, I get. I guess so. If if that's the wait, what's this called again? This Mickey Mouse Club, the Mickey Mouse Club category, or it's called Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose. So it's basically, did it bloom? What did this? What you wrote bloom into what you do now directly? Yeah, no, no, it's not. It's not quite like it. No, no. It's low score. It really is, to be fair. Oh my god! It's I'm not. Score but these categories aren't. It's like my GCSEs again. <laughs> <laughs> but these categories aren't necessarily ones you want to score high on. I mean, no one comes into this podcast going, "Know what I'm looking for?" Five out of five on pure teen horniness. Right. Most people are quite happy to take the hit. I'm just a um, so I'm going to go like for. Win, that's all. Just because it's really well written and it sounds really nice, and you performed it, and you were able to immediately perform it and inhabit that role. I will go for a two out of five on the Ryan Gosling because you did represent acting chops, but you those are the acting chops that you've got now. Have you ever <laughs> so been it's in quite one confusing. of those situations where someone thinks that your best efforts are so pathetic that they'll boost it up and the boost means that you score two? That's what happened to me today. That's what I'm going to tell my mum. My mum's outside. I'm going to say, Mum, the guy felt so sorry for me that he kind of took pity on me and in a shameful kind of just like throwing me a bone, he thought he'd do me a favour and give me two. All right, Ota, you know what? One. (laughs) (laughs) So you get six. (laughs) <laughs> six out of 15 if you don't want my pity you can't have it <laughs> one out of five for the mickey mouse club score six out of 15 i was normally i get to say well that's respectable to my guests but you know what pathetic nice <laughs> <laughs> i must now read you some of my work and as ever this is a poem i wrote uh in my mid to late teens i was 16 when i wrote this poem Do I get to score it? and Oh, God, yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, don't worry. The the revenge is coming. Um, This one is quite bad. Normally, I go into this saying, this is dog shit, and then it rhymes quite well, so people are quite nice about it and go, no, 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 it actually sounded all right. This one, I'm clearly trying to do something here, and I just miss. I just miss so much. So this poem is called Somewhere Banality Sometimes. Oh, I like it. Go Everything means nothing in the long run. Something somewhere in another place is done. Somewhere else, another thing is stopped. This is as relevant as something not. Overall, at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is, in a way, but somehow something turns and cogs combine. Somewhere the cogs might turn another time. If we can break the ice, then it might melt. The floor, the sky, some feeling someone felt. Ice melts already, apparently, and is rising. Water levels are high. The world is fat. It's not surprising. But nothing ever really follows us down. Six feet underneath soil, which is brown. There's soil in my garden while I'm alive. Oops, when I'm dead, how will my plants survive? There you go. Wow. Wow. Very, uh, you know, I'd probably need to hear it a second time to really digest it. Uh, I did the bit about... The soil, which is brown, I particularly liked. It was um, and... it's in brackets, which is brown, right? Just right. so you no, know. I got that from your from your reading of it, which is brilliant. And um, <laughs> oh, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the beginning was just so philosophical. Jeez, what happens over here? Is there any meaning? Existentialism. Everything means nothing in the long run. That's the opening line. I know how dark. God. I think what I'm trying to do is like, I I just trying to. I, I think it's intentionally meant to be an incredibly boring poem about how, because I'm trying to show this is all pointless, right. therefore so is this poem. Is that what you feel but now? It Do you work. feel like everything is pointless? Not really. It's quite hard to motivate yourself to do a podcast if everything's pointless. Right, right, right. So you've, you've, you've dropped that. You've, you've found some point to stuff. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the, the lockdown hasn't helped my sense right. of purpose. Right. But um, I certainly don't think I, I, I don't think there's soil in my garden while I'm alive and it's brown. How will my plants survive when I'm dead? I don't right. think about that. Right. Mainly because I got a bit older, moved out of my parents' house and lost access to a garden. You don't have a garden anymore. No. Yeah. 
Well, look, I mean, I did, it did, I did struggle to maintain focus somewhere in the middle, but that says as much about me as it does about the poem. What scores am I giving it on? Is it just an overall score? Or? No, 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 same category. So originality out of five. Originality, boys, out of five. You know, this is no revenge tour here. I'm going to give it a two. Uh, I think, you know, some nice, interesting philosophy at the beginning, um, which was nice, not unexpected, but it didn't really, anything other apart from that. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. I mean, have you heard soil described as brown before? That's what I'd ask you. That, well, that's why it's two and not a one, to be honest. Um, oh, right, one of for the <laughs> and one for that amazing, you know, the new way of looking at soil in a way. <clears throat> <laughs> you know what? Of all the years of writing poetry, I never thought I'd have a review that says I offer a new way of looking at soil. Yeah. Can you see soil the same way after listening to that poem? I dare you to try. <laughs> uh, and then pure teen horniness. That's very low. I felt very soft through the entire, entire mm. thing. Okay, good to know. <laughs> I'm not so out of five, that. what are you giving that? Zero? Yeah, yeah, zero. I mean, if anything, it was a bit of a killer. Don't read that before. Yeah, sort of minus. You're getting into minus numbers. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Everything means nothing in the long run. Nice to meet you. Um, do you want to come back to mine? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you find the right nihilist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but go on. Um, Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose School. How much potential did it show of a future star? How close is it to uh, my work now? I'm going to give that a three. I think, you know, which is a higher score, if you hadn't noticed. I think, I think there's potential in there. I think I, would, I think I could read that and go, that kid might have something. But so, yeah, I think three is a pretty fair score for, for Mickey Mouse Club. Right. So overall, four. Five. Well, you got zero for one of them. Oh, yeah. Did he get two? Two. Two. Yeah, five. Five. No, no. A strong five showing. What you've very cleverly done there is you've taken a six out of 15, and then somehow you've managed to manipulate the numbers so you still win the episode. Uh, listen, I don't see. Creativity isn't a competition. Oh, there's if it no was, revenge. I won. Oh, there's no revenge here. There's no revenge here. I'm going to give you exactly one less than me. Oh, uh, there's no I, revenge I would... there. I would say that, you know, like you should get a teenager bounce by like double. You should double your teenage score. So like, I think you really got a 10, to be fair, considering that I was an actual <laughs> full grown adult with a mortgage. <laughs> I don't think I had a mortgage, but Look, I was a full grown adult, you know, and you were a child. I think you know my philosophy on the nature of competition, and that is that everything means nothing in the long run. I couldn't right. have made that clearer. Right, right, right. <laughs> this, is right. All, this is all somewhere banality sometimes. None of this none of this matters. Also, the point of the podcast, as always, is that there are no winners because we are both losers. We now come to the time, the big finale, where you will read us one final piece that we will put music, sound effects under and produce up to be an epic. So uh, I believe this is the th- a third part of um, Boredom School. No, here's a surprise for you. I'm switching things up live. Your poem has inspired me. I've decided to read you a poem. Oh. And and this is a teen poem as well. Fantastic. And this poem, just to try and give it a little bit of context, it's, it's a contemplation on Taoism, right? The idea of non action or the idea that all our pain comes from resistance to what is to fighting what is and that actually we should try and be in flow with the universe great i mean i'm looking forward to it i mean that's a in terms of cells in terms of selling me in to a teenage poem (laughs) it's big you've gone big (laughs) all right here it comes it's called larry's fall He felt the wind rush past his face. In a shudder, Larry realized he was falling, and he was falling fast. Quickly, he grasped for his logic, reached out to grab the walls. He figured and fingered, fingers bloodied, clawed for a hold. Out your legs, you're falling! He threw out his legs in a spirit of struggle, a mean, desperate struggle to gain control. Crashing head, back against the wall, thrown into a tumble. He could feel it coming. The dread crept up his back. 
like a sniper rifle's aim, impending, inexorable, sudden crash, dead clung to his body like fresh blood on a fur coat. And in an instant, he was there, smiling. And for a while, Larry watched the two of them crashing to their doom, only he was facing down into the pit, like a bullet man out of an aeroplane, his body straight and relaxed as if he was willingly flying to his doom. What are you doing? Larry cried in terror. You'll fall faster. He looked at Larry and smiled. We're not falling, he said. Larry felt the sudden dread that he was about to crash to his death with a lunatic. What? He smiled again. We're not falling, he repeated. We're rising. Rising. The word hung in the air just above Larry's head. And then, in a flash, he realized what he had been saying. For a moment, Larry's bloody hands came away from the walls. His feet abated from struggle. And for that instant, he didn't hold on. And then he felt the surge, the rush, not pulling him to his doom, but drawing him to his glory. And so he relaxed and eased, and the only falling was the weight from his shoulders, and he took time to pause, to behold the wonder of ascension to heaven. Wow. I mean, a couple of things. I've got a sudden urge to let you into RADA. (laughs) And secondly, you have made me look a right prick. I mean, that's your teenage poem, is it? I mean, that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. All <laughs> uh, right. I was after I read you, After I just read you, soil is brown, <laughs> you're going to come out with, like, fresh blood on a fur coat, willingly tumbling to his doom, grasping for his logic, and dread crept up his back. I mean, these are all... The, the way it's written is amazing. How old were you when you wrote that? I think I was 19. And I, to be honest, I have no real idea. Because 18, 19, 20, I, I know it was around, it was when I was at RADA because I, I got the name Larry from Lawrence Fox. Oh, wow. What a bombshell to end this podcast on. <laughs> you just throwing that out into the ether and then we've got to process yeah. that. It's not really about him, but I was just looking for a name and that's the name that came into my head. I was at drama school with him. Amazing. That, I mean, that's so funny that uh, the takeaway from this will be Lawrence Fox's fall. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could write, in, tell you what, you could write a brand new poem called Larry's Fall about Lawrence Fox and it would be completely different. There it was, Oti Fagbenle. I mean, I was blown away by that and not just the Lawrence Fox bombshell at the end. What a guy Oti is, not Lawrence Fox. Absolute headboy material and I knew it, having not even spoken to him before. His one-man show, whatever it ends up being called, if he calls it one-man show, as he seems to insist upon, I would genuinely go and see it. It seemed excellent, the little bits we heard of it. And generally, I think plays can go and fuck off. So that's a big deal for me to say that, okay? That's a huge compliment. I'm also a huge fan of someone apologising for something in advance and then that thing they're doing and apologising for turning out to be excellent. And if you're a future guest listening to this show to try and get the feel for it, then I expect that level of performance going forward, okay? Or you can just use the same accent that he used and apply it to all of your early work, whether it's relevant or not. But that's what I expect from now on. That's what I want. Uh, As ever, please do subscribe. If you haven't already, um, please leave us a review. And, um... Nope, that's it, isn't it? Bye!